0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Virtual Classroom Podcast. Today, we are talking with Lindsay from Michigan. She's been on the podcast before, but today we are focusing our time on test-taking strategies. We do spend some time talking about the SAT and ACT. However, all of the strategies that she suggests are equitable for any test, from third grade ELA, to high school science, to the SAT, ACT, and even beyond that or any kind of examination from even us as teachers when we take our certification tests. So it's really valuable these skills to teach to our students while they're young and in every grade level, so that way we can prepare them for their future. Because unfortunately, tests aren't going away and these strategies could really help support them, especially students who might have anxiety or some sort of barrier that's keeping them from being successful and just focusing on the content. So without further ado, here's Lindsay.
1: My name is Lindsay Howe. I teach at Michigan Great Lakes Virtual Academy. K-12 people, we know, MGLBA. I just finished my sixth year virtual, my 14th year teaching on, or I'm teaching in general. I actually, um, I started at MGLVA as a ninth grade teacher and I moved into career development and then into literacy coaching. So now I'm the high school literacy coach and I have had that kind of under my belt for about six months now. Um, and so next year will be kind of like my first official year as a literacy coach. And I'm like elated because it's like my dream job.
0: That's exciting. So what will you be just out of curiosity? What, what does your job entail uh, as a literacy coach?
1: Um, it's a lot. I mean, it definitely feels very much like a, not a curriculum director, but a curriculum person, because I do a lot of, uh, I talk to people, um, art admin about PD ideas. Um, I'm also on a, the FAME team which is formative assessment for Michigan educators so they we talk a lot about formative assessment in our school and in the past it's been um, geared toward you know SAT testing Um, and now we're going to move it into kind of just a a wide range of SAT testing formative assessment and then uh, in the next few years we'll also be um, launching standards-based grading so that's
0: that's amazing Um, because I, that's something I want to talk about too, the standard base. Well, I mean, we, we don't have to, we're going to focus on the SAT, but that's something that I've, uh, I'm pretty like curious about is standard-based grading. I mean, we already yeah. do standard, most of us do standard-based te- um, like teaching, we teach to the standards, yes. so why yes. aren't we grading by the standards? Right. So Um, well, that's exciting. Well, okay. I'm so pumped for you and that I'm so excited about anyone getting their dream job. So that's really, really exciting stuff. So, okay. So the SAT, let's just, let's just pretend like none of us, I've never taken the SAT. I only took the ACT, but I'm assuming they're similar. So could you just give us a general idea of what these tests are and why we use them?
1: Yeah, so the SAT and the ACT, well, we're going to call them standardized tests, which sometimes is a naughty word, but they assess students' understanding at a given point in time. So let's say, for instance, because I didn't take the SAT, I took the ACT, but I took the PSAT when I was in high school. And let's say you took the PSAT 9. This year, it technically gives you a, a score on... Um, of what you would get on the SAT that day as well. But I mean, obviously there's a range. So the SAT has um, a few sections. So it has math, um, evidence-based reading and writing. So technically we can say there are two sections, but reading is the first section that kids take and it's the longest section where they read passages and they're asked specific questions like words in context, comprehension questions, um, authors' purpose, and then evidence-based writing. I tend to tell kids is more along the lines of like revision of passages. So, if if you're given this line, where would it fit best in this passage, or what is a transition you could include in this passage or after this paragraph? And then math, which is, in my opinion, I I find it's the most interesting, even though I'm an English teacher, because There are so many sections to it. Um, There's heart of algebra, which is my favorite because I love algebra. Um, There's data analysis, um, which is obviously in like data. There's, I can't remember, I should have written it down. Um, But there's also, my favorite part is the additional topics portion where like geometry and trigonometry are tested. Um, So there's a very wide range of items that kids are tested on, and science and social studies and humanities are all in there, but they're interspersed throughout evidence-based reading and writing. I love that. Uh, Yeah, so I I did write it down
0: (laughs) (laughs) in preparation of this. Um, So yeah, like, I really, I really hate standardized testing, but I did have Mm -hmm. some respect for this test because... It's not just testing whether you know the, like, right. grammar um, right. rules, but just actually using them and using the best one, and and so there's some, um, not just like, hey, it feels, it felt to me like, yes, you can prep for this, but there's not a, really a way to cram for this, because you need right. to know how to use this, uh, these principles, rather than just knowing the rules, is what right. I uh, got from that, so cool. I'm glad that I'm I'm kind of spot on there. So um, the research states that typically below average students benefit from the SAT or ACT prep course. Now, mm-hmm. knowing that you switched to a different position, is your school still offering a separate course like you originally were teaching or is this just now integrated into what you do?
1: So there's, that's kind of a multifaceted question or the answer is <laughs> so... I was at four or five years that I taught SAT prep as a, a just a separate course so it was a supplementary course that all 11th graders were required to take um, and so moving out of my role we actually now for next year are integrating SAT skills and support into our life skills class so we have one of our English teachers who's taking over life skills and what she's doing is she's integrating life skills with career development and SAT. So I gave her all my stuff for SAT prep. And on top of that, um, we have been for the past few years, also integrating testing strategies. So this past year, especially my, my goal for SAT prep wasn't content. I wasn't going to throw content at them because they get their content in their content classes. Every time that we had a live session, I would give them testing strategies and make sure that they understood that these strategies could also be used in their classes. So annotating, skimming, elimination of answers. So all of those strategies, I said, okay, but where can we use those in your other classes? It does, I mean, you're not going to just use it on the SAT to make it very applicable. As opposed to this one time, you're going to use this one skill. Um, we talked about how you can use annotating in all of your classes, and and I even said to them, I'm going to tell your teachers that I'm teaching you how to annotate, and I'm going to I'm going to make them ask you to annotate in their classes. So you know, really making it so that this is not something just a, it's not a one and done class. It, it is applicable, but when it's called SAT skills and support, you know it is. It does leave a bad taste in your mouth if you are not a proponent of standardized testing. So that's why I wanted to make sure that it was a, but I'm preparing you for everything. And we also talked about when they get out of high school, what other careers are going to ask them to take a standardized test? It's not going to be called a standardized test, but you're going to have to take the MCAT or um, if you want to be an engineer, you're going to have to take a placement test to, to be entered into a program. So learning how to take a test of this nature, it's not it, this isn't the only time you're going to do it. You're going to do it other times in your life. It's just not going to possibly be called a standardized test.
0: Absolutely. Um, I love that because one of my other questions was, is this required course for your students? Um, yes. And I'm glad that it is for all. But it did show that the research anyway that I found was showed that the kids who struggle the most actually gain the most, which makes sense in every aspect of what we teach. (laughs) So our kids who are struggling in reading class are going to have the most benefit to it than those who are above, which makes sense. On the idea of you teaching test-taking strategies, what strategies yielded the most results? Which ones did you think were vital and I love that because also another question I was going to ask is, you know, what skills could we integrate into our other classes? So for a ninth grade ELA teacher, even down to like in most states now they have some sort of standardized test at an early age that is high stakes, like Oklahoma has um, an RSA law and these babies are testing for their first year, and it's so high stakes because they could be retained if they don't pass it. So right. these these teachers who are sh- teaching content, how could they integrate these
1: test-taking strategies that you taught your your SAT kids? I, I know the elementary teachers are even more well-versed in strategy, reading strategies especially, but my two favorite are annotation. And you can teach any kid annotation. It's just going, you're going to build on it. But really, you could just call it writing all over the page, so or you know writing as you read. Um, so teaching them to write in the margins and reminding them that it's totally okay to write in a booklet. Um, I know that I, when I write in my booklets, when I'm reading any any scholarly reading that I do, most recently my daughter said, "Mom, you're writing in the book," and I'm like, "Yes, that's awesome." So writing in it, making notes because you digest it better. Another one is is chunking. I I, I call it chunking or chewing, um, where you break up a passage into, you know, chewable sections. Um, And then skimming. I mean, I hate to say it, but kids are going to need to learn how to skim a passage because for the reading portion, if you divide it up into the number of questions and the number of minutes they have, they have 1.25 minutes to not only read, but also answer the questions. So, when we tell kids that, I don't tell them to freak them out, although generally in the chat box, the kids are like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. But at the same time, if you practice skimming, it's a, it's a good strategy. Not only be, you know, I'm not a proponent to read fast. I'm not, I'm not a fast reader, but also learning to skim because when I'm reading anything, I don't read every single word. I read so that I can digest items so that I have time to write on the side and like an exclamation point or circle or highlight so that I'm digesting it as opposed to just reading every word because that's not effective. Any elementary teacher especially is going to tell you reading every word doesn't matter as much as comprehending unless we're talking about fluency rules. So I try, I even teach my own daughter who's going into fourth grade how to annotate, how to skim. Um, and I don't always push her to, to read every single solitary word because it's it's how, how, what are you understanding about this? So.
0: I don't feel like I'm teaching annotation enough, but I was going to, I got this iPad because I'm starting my, my doctorates next month and I, I got it because I wanted to be able to annotate and write and not destroy the book.
1: Right. So Oh, I um, love this it
0: <laughs> but but uh, to be fair my university doesn't use books they we only use scholarly reading um that we can get on like Escohost. so I wanted I didn't want to have to print it off I didn't want to have to anyway so this makes it a lot easier but as you right. said that I'm like I know how to do this I don't know where I learned how to do this but I right. did learn how to do this and you're absolutely right this is something that I still use I still use how to annotate and I found myself skimming things because i don't always like to read the treatment of data like how they actually got the data because that's really boring i want to see the results of how they get their data Mm -hmm. or what they did with the data there's a place for it but i'm not here to judge how they got their data i'm just more curious about their results so i love i love all that i need to teach um my students how to annotate more and in a virtual environment that's so easy, I'm thinking, right. I could yeah. just do exactly what I just did for me, but just put it on our on, we're gonna be using Blackboard Collaborate at the beginning of the year unless you're a pilot school, but um you can put it on there or on new row, and then there, there's highlighting tools. I can just let them ride all over it, so I love yep. that um so twenty three states require the SAT or ACT is there do you know why why do we do that I can't really find out why
1: (laughs) um I mean I could give you my opinion about it I don't know exactly I would imagine it has to do with money as far as kind of yeah I I think that a lot of it is probably just money because I mean still standards-based testing is is going to be or I'm sorry Standardized testing. Um, you have you have College Board, who's creating the SAT. Um, I mean, they obviously have to make money because they're not a nonprofit organization. So it's probably based on money. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, that, obviously that's not that's not the most politically correct answer, but at the same time, I mean, uh, and it probably also has to do with um what most colleges in that state are requiring as far as entrance uh level testing is concerned um but the shift it was kind of like a weird shift in Michigan because we went from the ACT that I took the ACT when I was in college and I'm I'm going on 20 years out of I'm sorry high school 20 years outside of high school so I mean what why was this why did the shift occur um I don't know yeah, I don't know either, but
0: I, just out of curiosity, there's a there seems to be another shift now going on. Uh, California is banning um, like the SAT, ACT. Mm. I want to say like Chicago is too, University of Chicago. And the reason for it is justified. I, I get why they're doing it, but is there still a place for, and it's, I I. I feel like i already know what the answer is going to be to this question but i want to still ask it yeah is there still a place for teaching these skills even if the country decides hey we're not going to require act or sat anymore uh we're going to have a different way of because based on what I read for California, they're not having any kind of state or standardized testing. They're going to do something else. And I'm not, I'm not even sure they have figured out what that's going to be yet based on just what I read. But it doesn't sound like testing is going to be a factor. But is there still a place? Is there still a place for these kinds of uh, uh, courses and practices? And yeah, I'll just leave it at that.
1: I think, I mean, the answer to that, absolutely. Um, it depends on how you kind of utilize them, because quite frankly, take, taking a time test might not be. I don't, I, I don't necessarily believe in the idea of timing someone to take a test because that's just timing how well you take a test, or, or even just gauging how well you take a test. So timing, not necessarily, but. The skills are extremely applicable in so many different courses. Um, I mean, annotating, skimming, uh, elimination of answer choices. I mean, elimination. If you consider the the number of multiple choice tests that kids still take, yes, elimination of answers is definitely that. Close reading, teaching kids how to read closely into a text, is really integral career as just humans because um you're having to break down a text and not just in high school not just in elementary school but also outside of it if you have to read an instruction manual you have to break it down and you have to be able to understand it so teaching the kids these skills is so important but not just saying you have to do it once but this has to be second nature for you all right perfect
0: So now that I feel like we've gotten down what the ACT, SAT is and its purpose and all that, let's go back to, and we also briefly talked about your favorite strategies. Mm -hmm. I guess now let's dig into those more. How, for someone who's never taught test taking skills, where should they begin with, skimming sounds like the hardest one for me. Mm -hmm. So how could I teach my students how to skim?
1: Um, well, I usually use anchor charts to kind of give them a visual, but it's it's more or less like where you start. So, um, especially in like science textbooks, social studies textbooks that have a lot of the, um, the table of contents, the bolded, um, headers. So showing kids what to look at first. So hopefully kids never skip over the, the, the headers in a, in, in a text Um, a paragraph and a section, because that's going to give you so much information about what's included. It gives you a baseline understanding so you know what you're reading about. So it's just telling kids text features. You can't teach skimming. It's it's not going to be an innate skill. It's really saying, check off here. Did you look at the table of contents to know what, what is included? Did you look at the headers? Did you look at the captions underneath the uh, the clip art or the graphs. Um, So just kind of giving them a checklist so that it starts to become second nature. Um, And that's going to be in, I mean, you wanna push your science teachers and your social studies teachers um, and your humanities teachers where there are textbooks being read because unfortunately textbooks are so similar to SAT passages because that's just reality, reality of the situation because they're going to get, have humanities passages, science passages, social studies passages, and they will have prose, but prose is just going to be prose. It's just literature. Um, okay. So skimming is going to come natural, naturally for that, but they're not going to have as many um, text features to give them more information before they dig deep into the passage.
0: Now, should they be skimming like... sorry. Should they be skimming initially? Is that the first thing they, sh- they should be doing and then diving into the annotation and some of those other... Okay, so we skim, we got that down
1: uh, and now we're annotating. Let's... Well, we do it simultaneously and th- you know, I'm glad, I, I'm so sorry to, to cut no. you off. What we did <laughs> in one of our lessons was I taught annotating first, just as a baseline and then I gave them the skimming idea and I said, okay, now we know how to annotate. When you look at this passage and you're going to skim, circle the header so that that is something as you like as you circle it, you have that visual aspect to say, now I'm going to read it. Um, So it it kind of go hand in hand, they're very simultaneous, but teach annotating first so that they know how to do it. So they know that term when you teach them that this is what you need to do as you skim.
0: And what are the annotation things that you Really hounded into them that they really needed to to know how to do.
1: Circling unknown vocabulary is huge, and that's one that kids can do, especially on the SAT. I say, guys, tricky vocabulary, totally fine. They did it on purpose. Um, so uh, circling tricky vocabulary, exclamation point for something that's interesting, question mark if they're like, I have no idea what this means. Um, for main idea, put a star. Um, but circling headers is a big one too, or highlighting. It really depends on um, which form of annotation they want to use. Oftentimes, I circle words that I don't understand and highlight the headers. Um, but the most, the most annotating items that I use are exclamation point and question mark. Question mark for I don't understand what they're saying, um, exclamation point for something that I totally agree with or just find interesting.
0: And how does this play in, just out of curiosity, how does this play in the test taking? How does circling a word that they don't know going to help them figure out the right answer to the problem? Is it more about just cognitively thinking and recognizing, hey, I read this and, or does it actually help them in that endeavor? So.
1: well for circling unknown vocabulary it's probably going to be a part of one of the questions because often there's so many words in context questions um circling that will make it easier for them to go back and find it um also it's let's we're let's just pretend that kids don't skip over words but they do so if you come upon a word that you don't understand for us as as you know good readers we probably don't skip over the word we try to understand it as a word in context well a lot of kids a lot of lower level readers will skip over a word that they don't understand but it's probably a word that's really important for them to understand the the paragraph as a whole so when you circle it either it, it says to your brain I don't know what that means and I should probably figure it out or it's just a, I can go back and I can see that word because I that paragraph is probably gonna be one where I'm gonna have a question. So I'm gonna have to figure out what that word means before I can answer the question.
0: I'm having so many ideas with this. So whenever I have a fourth grade teacher and I'm gonna go back and teach them how to annotate just throughout the year, I'm gonna highlight the title and then I want them. And for us, uh, our context clues is pretty straightforward. I could have them circle or underline the word in the question if it says what's the meaning of blah 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 they can go find it mm-hmm. but then in the chat box they could type out the words that they just don't know. Yes. So I really um like that and then what was the third strategy that you mentioned?
1: Hold on. No. Um uh, <laughs> so annotate, the skimming. Answer. Oh elimination of answers. Oh yeah. So that, the
0: one? that one seems powerful. Uh, what and I've, I've done that, but how do you do that? I, that seems like one that we push a lot, but I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. <laughs>
1: how do you, how do, you you do it Why? So if I say like eliminate answers, they're like, why? So if you tell them, it's really powerful to tell them you're more likely to get it correct. If you eliminate answers, because let's say for instance, you have four choices you have a one in four chance, a 25% chance of getting it right, okay? If you eliminate one, you have a greater chance of getting it correct. If you eliminate two, then you're good. So generally what I say to them is as you're reading, as you're reading the answer options, cross off the one that just like sticks out because there's always gonna be one that's just, it's totally incorrect, cross it off. Higher chance of getting it correct. Um, and then go from there. So start eliminating based on what you know. You just have a greater chance. Could you cross off the incorrect an- or the correct answer? Absolutely. Is it likely? Not necessarily. So what I what I do is I model it. We often do it together. Um, it's because it's not going to be it's not going to be innate for them ever until you start modeling it. Like maybe do it as a bell ringer. We often. Um, I make bell ringers that are SAT related or they're worded like the SAT, but I don't say this is the SAT, but um, we, I just model why was this answer incorrect? So another way to do it is to say in your bell ringer, not which one was correct. How about all of the answers that are incorrect and then talk about why they're incorrect. Okay.
0: Yeah. I always tell them like, I always say, there's always just a stupid answer, and yes. they always yes. laugh whenever I say there stupid. Is. <laughs> so <laughs> I and I always hate saying that word to them. I don't mind saying it, but uh, but it seems to really resonate with them, and they remember that. So all well, their teachers said it's stupid. <laughs> so like yeah, there's, there's always, always a
1: ridiculous st- answer. There,
0: yes, there's always just oh, a, yeah. Well, they're fourth graders, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like oh this ring said stupid. So, all right. So we went over the SAT. We talked about your three strategies. Is there anything else that we should know about SAT and just generally test prep uh, that I didn't know to ask
1: <laughs> about? No, I think that the biggest thing, because for the longest time, forever, you know, ever and ever and ever, and it's never going to go away. There's a negative connotation attached to standardized testing. It's unfortunate. I'm not gonna say I don't buy into it, okay? But at the same time, as it stands right now, it's not going away. So really for the kids, it's all about giving them the idea that there's always a growth mindset. And I think that we talk about that so much, but really saying, you know what, guys? I could care less if you get 100% or even close to 100% on this. All that I care about is that you show growth. That I mean, that has to be a discussion with students is, Okay, because we have what's called the M-STEP in Michigan. So they have to take it so many times. They take it for the first time in third grade, then fifth grade, eighth grade. So if I look, if I'm talking to my fifth graders, which I don't teach fifth grade, but the ones that I would be testing, okay, guys, you took it in third grade. I know what you scored. Today, what I want you to do is I simply want you to score better. That's it. I just want you to score better. I want you to show me what you know and that's what i've always told my students as well in sat prep is because i what we do is we use essay or usa test prep and they have modules and they do practice and they're they say well what do i have to do i don't how do i pass this class and i say just show growth just show me you've grown as you as you do the practice items and then the test at the end to show me that you grew that's all i care about because you're not perfect nobody's perfect. And I probably wouldn't even do perfect on any of this stuff, but I just want you to show that you grew. I love that. And I've toyed around maybe like,
0: sorry for saying like a lot. It's just part of my nature, but
1: <laughs> I say, um, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. so I'm working on it. Uh, but I've had this idea of how can I make the negative connotation of state testing go away and make it something actually exciting. And I I haven't quite figured it out because many of my kids come to me with test anxiety. I had one little girl this year who cried at the very beginning of the year the entire time, had to come like four times to take this test because I didn't want her to stress too much about it. And at the end of the year, she was still stressing, but she wasn't crying and she could do it all in the parts, in the actual, just the sessions that we asked her to come, no additional ones. So let's just, if we could just brainstorm that a little bit. How could I help those kids maybe change their mindset about the test? I know test taking strategies will help because that's going to lower their anxiety, but I kinda wanna just go with the test is cool and it's gonna be the funnest thing that you've ever done. (laughs) So how could I potentially do that in in my classroom? I I don't know if it's possible, but I just wanna (laughs) brainstorm that with you.
1: (laughs) I mean, I definitely think that it's hard and I don't have like the secret sauce, like the magic answer, but I do think it really is. It's instilling in students that you're not competing with anybody but yourself. So it does not matter and I, I don't necessarily agree with showing students the data, like this is the state standard, because that there some students that have intrinsic motivation will try to live up to that, but the ones that don't, you're trying to e- extrinsically motivate them. And in doing so, you have to you have to instill in them that you're only trying to better yourself all of the strategies, say all of the strategies that I'm giving you, they have nothing to do with this test. They have everything to do with what you can do, the magic that can happen in your own classes. And then everything is going to become second nature. So when you walk in, you walk in with a swagger, like I can do this. I'm just going to, I'm going to beat my score from last year, or I'm going to beat my score from the interim assessment because they're so similar. Um, and, and and really showing yourself, I am beating what I did before. And if I don't, it's okay, because you, you have another chance. There's always another chance to do this, obviously until the SAT, but, um, the SAT you can retake. And I think a lot of students say to themselves, if I don't do good, if I don't do well, then I'm just not smart not even close to the truth because it's one test. Reminding the students that one test never defines you because if one moment in your life defines you, that's a problem because I have a lot of one moments that should never define me. Um, but it's all about just saying, you're only, you're only competing with yourself and that one test doesn't, it doesn't define everything. Thank you for
0: reminding me about that, because that's something that I tend to forget. I don't like teaching math because I don't understand the struggle, (laughs) but you reminded me of that struggle that these kids are facing and almost the origin of their anxiety. And that's something that I have been struggling with myself. I've been asking myself, why are these kids freaking out so much? And And they don't have the words to articulate that to me for their fourth graders. They just don't. But you just did. You reminded me that the reason they're probably freaking out is because if they don't do well on this, they don't feel smart. And yeah. that's, that's powerful. So I'm definitely writing that down because that's <laughs> something I need to remind them. And then also, as you were talking about the swagger, like I could have a swagger walk. Yes. Uh, they come yes. in and they could have a swagger walk, uh, I don't know if I could get all the test people on board with that, but that's something I could do at my location. Yep, is still yep. have a swagger walk, and then in my virtual classrooms, have some sort of swagger walk yep. into the virtual classroom. So, yep. and, like, love you're, that. You're, you got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when we have new row, that's going to be even easier because yep. they're on video, but <laughs> I could have a few kids hop on the WoCam and do a swagger walk as they come in. test. Yep. Yep. So, I love that. So, all right. Well, It's always a joy to talk to you. I so appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Unfortunately, even in the midst of COVID, I can't foresee standardized testing going anywhere. However, us as educators, we're always going to need data. We're always going to need some sort of test taking strategies because our students are always going to be assessed in some way. Ideally, our assessments would not always just be multiple choice, right? That they would have some sort of task to complete, but they're going to need the skills in order to do that. So regardless of whether standardized testing is here to stay or thrown out someday, our students are always going to need to know how to take an assessment. And us as educators are always going to need assessment data so we can guide our instruction. We don't know what to teach unless we know what they don't know and what they do know. So which strategy did Lindy and I talk about that you think is most equitable for your classroom that you can apply at the next time you take an assessment? Or what strategies are you using that we didn't talk about that you think the rest of us should know? Head on on back over to our social media pages and share, because that's what this is all about, right? It's collaborating together and learning from each other. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, be brave, take a risk, and have fun. Bye, guys.